Welcome back to Anecdotally Speaking, the podcast that helps leaders and sellers find and tell great oral stories. Hi, I'm Sean Callahan, And I'm Mark Shank. Hey, it's great again to be here. Um, episode six. Episode six. So, I hear you're doing a bit of travel, Mark. I think that's the next thing on your list. It Where are you indeed. off to? It is indeed. I've been thinking for the last few days. Well, tomorrow I'm leaving Melbourne where it's a, a very, you know, a lovely 26 degrees and uh, that's 26 degrees Celsius. So it's a lovely day here. And I'm going to uh, Minneapolis. I'm busily trying to find clothes, you know, like enough warm clothes to survive a week over there. <laughs> you know, I'm busy looking for gloves and beanies and scarves. And Now, I hear that Minneapolis at this time of the year, you know, you're looking at perhaps minus 20 degrees yeah. Celsius. Yeah, in fact, I was on the phone to the client just the other day and it was minus 20. And they said, yeah, but you've got to add another 20 degrees on for wind chill. <laughs> so I go, oh, no. <laughs> oh, so, well, yeah, that'll test so you. That, that will test me. Yeah. yeah. Well, it'll be good. I mean, I'd like to see some photos out of that. So, well, um, you, keep, you have to keep us posted, right? I want to, I don't, but don't freeze to death, whatever you do. Now... I guess the story that we have today, you've got a story for us yeah, that you so want to share. Tell us, set that one up for us and just sort of give a sense of what that's going to be about. Right. Well, this example really illustrates just the tremendous impact a leader can have in how they respond to a crisis. Now, this story was shared three or four years ago. I was up in Sydney working with a law firm. They were launching their new values and one of the values was respect. So big event at Darling Harbour and the entire firm was there. So I had the value of respect, and they would come through in groups of about 50, and I just got them to share examples of where they saw the value of respect, or not. And one of the senior partners uh, shared an experience that had happened to him 20 years earlier. Really? And he said that relatively junior at the time in the insolvency practice, and, and what that means is that a creditor, there's an outstanding debt, and the debtor doesn't pay, and when the payment period is expired, the creditor is entitled to place them into insolvency. Right. And so the insolvency practice, one of the key things that they did was that they submitted the applications for insolvency to the regulator. And he said it was a Friday morning. There was a big lunchtime event. Uh, they had uh, an insolvency matter to deal with in the morning and they worked hard, you know, under pressure so they could get to the restaurant uh, at lunchtime. And it took a bit longer than they'd hoped, but they got to the restaurant a little bit late and everybody was waiting. And he said, I walked into the restaurant and the senior partner in the restaurant looked up at me and said, you need to go back to the office right now. And I'm like, what? Anyway, I've turned around and walked out and I'm started, I've got my phone. I start making calls. And over the next 10 minutes or so, as I'm going back to the office, the story comes together and we've made a huge mistake. Instead of the bank is uh, placing a small company into insolvency, we'd got it the wrong way around. And we'd submitted the paperwork that the small company was making the bank insolvent. Oh my God. And uh, by the time I got back to the office, I'd heard that the regulator had contacted the board of the bank and they were actually meeting in New Zealand at the time, telling them that they'd been placed into insolvency. This is one of Australia's biggest banks. <laughs> and he goes, I have made this, you know, like this is huge. Uh, he said, I went up to my office. I was walking towards my office door and the elevators opened at the other end of the corridor and the national managing partner the doors opened and there he was and he's just looking at me and he strides towards me and I'm thinking, it's all over, Red Rover. Walks up to me, puts his hand on my shoulders and he just looks me in the face and he goes, are you okay? We'll get through this. We, you know, this, this is a mistake. I just want to make sure that you're okay. Wow. And he said, that moment had a huge impact on me because I joined that law firm because they were very well known and I was just going to build my resume and move on. Right. He said, but I'm still here and a lot of it is because of that moment. Holy smokes. That was, and that's respect. 
Yeah. Yeah. What a great story. I mean, it's one of those ones which, of course, flip our expectations, right? Let's, let's talk about why that story works, right? I mean, what are some of the things for you that stand out that you reckon that really make that story work? Oh, the shock of the actually placing the bank into insolvency. Yeah, I know. So, I, I, I think <laughs> I sort of, you know, actually laughed when you sort of said that, right? Because you think, oh my God, how does that actually happen? Yeah. Right? But I think the little detail about the fact that the board was meeting in New Zealand I think for some reason, that, for me, made it an even more plausible story. Yeah, it kind of increases the stakes. It does, right? And just one of those funny coincidences that it's actually happening right there and then. That happens all the time. So I thought that was a nice detail in the story. I wonder whether, saying they were meeting in Auckland, the New Zealand reference I thought was a good one. Of course, in any of these stories we have expectations right and we have stereotypes of how we think people are going to respond so we think senior leader in law firm is going to be a kick-ass sort of guy that's going to take no prisoners so when he when i love that scene where you open up the elevators and here he is standing there looking straight at the portfolios made the error and he strides towards him and i'm thinking oh my god he's just going to cop it right that's what yeah, you're thinking. That's exactly so right. that's that's the twist, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And just the tiny little action, and the fact that tiny action caused had a huge impact on that guy, and he's still there twenty years later. Yes, yes. I, I've heard lots of examples like that actually. So it's it is such an important thing. And I suppose maybe if there's any, is there anything else we need to say about the actual structure or the features or characteristics of the story that? help it work well i guess i'm thinking that probably took two and a half minutes to tell yes um which you know in some circumstances a bit long so pairing it back might make it even better i'm not sure how i'd do that i'd have to uh, practice it a few times and just take out any details that aren't essential but of course you've got to be careful not to strip out the details that make a difference true true yeah but that's a good point you know my rule of thumb is Anything between one minute and three minutes makes a good business story. As soon as you push beyond that, you kind of then need to be on a stage somewhere where you have full command and people give you that flexibility to tell a much longer story, right? But when you're just having conversations with people, you don't often get that. In fact, there is a strategy you can use if you do have a longer story. I had to give a, a talk to a group of executives just the other day and I had a story I wanted to tell. So I told the first maybe minute and a half of the story. And then through the rest of the meeting, I added elements of the story. And I think that's another way to be able to tell a longer story, but you're not trying to fill it all right up front, you know, to front load it. Going back to your story though, where would you tell it? What would be the circumstances where this would be a great story to tell? Well, what does respect look like in our organization? Yeah, right. I mean, every company's got values and a lot of them have definitions. Yes which don't really mean anything. I heard a great description once. Values are like a talisman that you hang on the wall to ward off evil spirits. Yeah, uh, right. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> but having uh, having real-life examples of what the value looks like is a fantastic way to illustrate that value, influence behavior, that more of that sort of thing happens. Yes, yes. I think the other thing for me too is that, you know, if you're talking to a group of leaders and you're sort of saying, hey, guys, guess what? When there's a crisis, the spotlight is on you right? Everyone is looking at you. Here is your time to shine. Don't stuff it up. 
And in fact, you could do something that's so remarkable, people will tell stories about that. For 20 years. For 20 years. I mean, the guy's still telling that story, right? So imagine... If people, if leaders become aware of that, that opportunity is this great opportunity. You know, when there's a stuff up, here's your time to shine. Yeah, so that is a fantastic application. Yeah. To encourage leaders to think about the way they respond to bad news. Yeah. I guess another uh, application would be whenever, say you're in interviews and people are trying to get a sense of the culture of the organisation. They're sort of saying, no, you know, what sort of culture do you have? So there's recruitment interviews. Yeah, recruitment interviews, or it could be even just a casual conversation you're having with a group of people and they want to get a sense of the type of organisation you are. You can sort of, instead of giving that woolly, high-level description, oh, we value uh, respect and collaboration and integrity, you can just go down to a specific instance. You can sort of say, well, I tell you what, let me give you an example. Yeah, so responding to the question... What's it like working in your organization? Right. What's it like to work there? Yeah. Well, let me tell you what it's like to work here. Tell that story. And suddenly people are going, wow. Whereas the normal response, oh, well, it's very collaborative and uh, you know, there's a lot of respect and uh, you know, I, I feel quite valued and uh, you know, uh, you know, I could probably do with a bit more autonomy, but you know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Is there anything we would do to make that story even better. I know we're sort of jumping back to the previous section, but it just occurred to me. I'm just wondering if there's anything we can do. I suppose the well, thing... I sense you've got an idea. Well, just as you said that, in talking about specifics and details, you know, there's bits in there that we didn't provide as details because it's confidential. True. Right? Yes. So, you know, we didn't name the name of the law firm and we didn't name the name of the, the partner. But if you're in that organisation... Right? Of course, they know that, but you would also provide those other details. So you've got to be aware of your context, right? Absolutely. Fantastic. Well, what do you reckon? Let's give this a rating. Mark, that story, oh. where would you put it? And not just because it's a story that I told, but I'd give that one an eight. An eight? Yeah, for me, it's a seven and a half. I think it's a great story of surprise. And it shows leadership at its best, right? If we can get more of those out there, God, we could surely do with great leadership. Yeah, it would certainly help restore humanity to a lot more workplaces. (laughs) That's for sure. Well, guys, again, thank you very much for listening to Anecdotally Speaking. Please get onto iTunes or onto Android and rate the the show and make a comment. It just helps people find the show. We're just trying to get the word out. And just, yeah, thanks for tuning in. And I guess, you know, we're just really hoping you get out there and put your stories to work. Till next time.